Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz French horn player Ken Wiley. He is promoting his new projects, Urban Horn and Horn Redux. He was born in Kansas City and raised in St. Joseph, Missouri. From there, he went on to Los Angeles, and with limited funds, he made it. Over the years, he's played at the Playboy Jazz Festival, L.A. Jazz Society, the UCLA Jazz Concert Series, and he's been on shows like The Family Guy, The Cleveland Show, and American Dad. He even does some work with cats like Lenny Kravitz. He is a very happy musician and cat, and he's done it the right way, and it's been his way. Get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Ken, thanks for taking a minute out for me today. I appreciate it. So let me go ahead, and and this is kind of the topic here. I've got your albums. Urban Horn. Give me an idea. Are these your first solo albums? No. Jazz Horn, I mean, the Urban Horn Project is the third album of original tunes. The first one was uh, an album called Visage on Passport Jazz. I think it was released in 88 or 89. And then I did another one called Highbridge Park, another self-published thing that a small little label picked up, but it's never really been promoted yet. So next year, 2018, I'm working on a Latin jazz album which is going to be my next album of, you know, kind of some originals and everything. I'm, uh, ben Schultz is doing the promotion. Where I'm actually going to release that older Highbridge Park album that I did, which is a really good album, and we're going to re- actually release it for the first time. So this is actually my fifth album, the, uh, the Urban Horn Project. Right on. Well, it, it, it's a great album. It's a great project. How do you feel about it? I'm glad people are liking it, to tell you the truth. Oh, like I think it was like 89 in the Jazz Week charts the first week it came out, which is what Ben said it was. Uh, that's a pretty good deal. So I, that was pretty cool. But really, I think people, I, I've got, because the album was recorded, I was very careful. There's a lot of analog technology in it, really high-end you know, recording process. And the mastering engineer, Joe Gaswert, who's just a wonderful mastering engineer, he's mastered some of the best albums I've ever heard in my life, you know, dating back to Santana and Beach Boys, Jimi Hendrix, stuff like that. Even Neil Young, but he he records uh, analog and then and masters from a high high, high resolution. So you get a really nice feel. So the whole goal of this album was to make it really sound kind of similar to those great Columbia records done back in the fifties and sixties of jazz. You know, so that was the whole goal is to capture that nice you know welcoming vibe, and which I think we did a pretty good job of. Hopefully, so kind of album where, where when you listen to the music, it, it kind of brings you in. Because well, a lot of recordings today with a lot of total digital technology, they mix it pretty hot. And there's a lot of distortion. So when you hear it, it's not, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really bring you into the music. It kind of like, just strange, you know. And then, then if you want to, and the whole point of making a recording like we did the Jazz Horn uh, Redux album is that... <clears throat> If you want it to be a little louder, you can turn that dial up as long as, as high as you want, and all you're going to get is more music. It won't distort or anything. It just gives you more of what's there. So, right on. That was my goal. <laughs> cool. I think you hit it for sure. <laughs> I and, hope so. And you know, we kind of talked the other day a little bit about this. You have some Kansas City roots, born in KC, and yeah. spent some time in St. Joe. Talk to me about your growing up and how you got into music and just kind of growing up <clears throat> around here. Well, playing the French horn, uh, I I was uh, rather a played I played piano and uh, and I kind of was like into you know rock and roll and stuff like that and blues. But uh, somehow my my mother uh, left a French horn in, in the dining room with a, a classic English dude uh, who was this guy Dennis Brain who was like the master of the French horn. 
And for some reason, I gravitated to that instrument in seventh grade and haven't put it down since. I can't really understand, you know, tell you why. I've never really felt, I've always felt more like a rock and jazz and, you know, musician. I've never, you know, I I did a lot of orchestra work and I went to Manhattan School of Music and, I, you know, played a lot of the long hair music, you know, orchestra stuff, but I never, my heart was really not into it that much. So um, I, I think it was a natural progression for me to get into other music because when I got to L, even in Kansas City, when I got back from New, in New York is where they started you know, hanging out in the jazz clubs and stuff down the village and up in Midtown when I was going to school there, music school. And then I went back to Kansas City, went to graduate school, entered graduate school at UMKC. And at that time, I got a group called Mugandis Goose and stuff and started playing around clubs around the, uh, I think, the, what was it, Westport area? I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were some clubs there. And then I joined a band there called the John Bailey Explosion, which was a really very popular band back in the day. It was like a six, seven-piece band, and I played French horn and congas, uh, believe it or not. Uh, so I really got into that stuff. And then, then when I then I dropped out of graduate school with a semester to go to join a, a kind of a folk band to play French horn and congas and actually sang some country songs, which was pretty bizarre to drop out of graduate school to, to do that, but I did it. Yeah, <laughs> it was... I mean, I got booed off the stage singing uh, a Hank Williams song. I'm so oh, wow. I could cry. Uh, playing congas <laughs> on a country song. So, uh, and I, they actually booed me off the stage. I'm a, it's a true story. Wow. Then I, moved, then I moved to L.A. Talk to me a little bit about education. You were talking about graduate school. What did you learn? Do you have? Did you get any advice from teachers that stuck with you all these years that you remember? Actually, no, because uh, all the teachers I had were traditional French horn instructors, right? And to tell you the truth, um, until I got to New York, anybody I talked to, any teacher I had, I said, well, I really like jazz. I want, I like rock. I like something. They'd always say, well, you really can't do that on your horn. You should stay away from it. And they just thought it was a stupid idea. But this guy in New York, the man in School of Music, Arthur Burr, who was a fantastic musician, he kind of encouraged it a little bit. You know, he was really positive. Uh, and even there was a teacher out here in L.A. I studied with, and uh, he said, what are you wasting your time on jazz for? And he was a real... In other words, a very it was kind of a ultra straight conservative kind of attitude about playing the French horn, and and none of the teachers ever did it right. I mean, I never studied jazz with a French horn player. I mean, I just I listened to jazz, and when I got to L.A., I studied with a guy named Warren Marsh, who was with a group called Super Sax. He'd go to his house, and he's you know taught me how to you know work on stuff. But uh, no, I I had to do it on my own. You know, no, no mentors at that time ever. You know. Interesting. So how did you get to the point where you got to L.A. and now you're a studio musician? You've had a long career there. Well, I think the big thing is that when I was in Kansas City, after I'd left New York, I was from Kansas City, so I was familiar with the area, you know, and I had a really good time kind of hanging there for about three years and playing with this band. And, uh, you know, it was a really cool game. I got to play some solos and stuff, even though it was rock kind of. And, and played percussion, of course, you know, also. I, I don't know. I, I, I met a girl there in Kansas City who worked at a restaurant on the, in the plaza. And um, I said, you know, I want to go to L.A. I said, I, I want to go someplace in L.A. I want to play jazz. I want to write. And uh, I think L.A. would be good. I had never been there before. It didn't, you know, it just seemed like the thing to do. So I, I called a guy named Earl Dummler, who's also went to the University of Kansas. He was a great studio player. He's still playing, I think, playing oboe. One of the best oboe players ever, playing all the Carpenters stuff and a lot of studio work. And so we just drove out here. 
We got in the car and just drove west. Wow. It was, and I had my horn in the car. I was, you know, playing the blues, playing blues licks, you know, with the window open, you know, going through. And uh, it was scary. We didn't have much money. So we got out here, and I went over to Earl's house, and he said, well, I think you should go to this part of town, which is the Silver Lake area, which is kind of an artsy place. You know, now it's very arts, kind of like an art district place. And I've got an apartment, and I got a job at the Art Center, Art Center School of Design, just working in the bookstore and stuff, and started playing jazz and trying to get some concerts. The union gave me some trust fund concerts for live gigs, and then I started reading a few musicians and uh, uh, started. I was writing music, so I wrote all my own stuff. And then that time was like the late 70s, early 80s, and it was sort of like a new, the New Age fusion uh, scene. So my music was kind of in that genre, and my first album on called Visage, I actually got a twenty thousand dollar record budget to do that album, believe it or not, in eighty nine. Wow. Got all even had John Patitucci playing bass. Um, you know, a lot of musicians who, you know, went on to really be outstanding, you know, especially Patitucci. Sure. So I just worked my ass off, you know, trying to do um whatever gigs I could find to support my habit of playing live and writing. So I did that. And and uh and little by little, I started reading, some, meeting some different people. And, and a friend of mine got me, actually got me in the Motion Picture Sound Union. He said, look, you need to make some good money, support your writing habits. So I got in the uh, the Yahtzee Union as a sound recordist. And then later on, did some mixing. And what that enabled me to do was to make really good money, have all my health insurance paid, where I could go out and play clubs like Dante's and Hop Sings and stuff. And um, and I didn't really do any studio work back then. Um, so I, I just wanted to do my own thing. I was kind of a rebel. I didn't really fit into the French horn mold out here. You know, it's just hard to describe. But yeah. I was much too, uh, too much not conservative enough and not, I guess, I couldn't genuflect to the whole uh, experience in order to do whatever it took. Plus, I didn't realize how lucrative it would have been back then either. I was just too busy having fun. You know, yeah, and then, sure. and then, and then, I I didn't know it was I was kind of not really doing a lot, and then I met a couple of guys who got me on some record dates, uh, a couple of things Timbo and Burnett did, um, and then uh, so I started doing this. I did James Horner's first movie ever, Battle Beyond the Stars, believe it or not, but I was doing the jazz, live jazz playing. So then I got a call. I got a call to to play with Charlie Rouse, who played with Thelonious Monk for years. And that was a four-night gig at a club, and that was really cool. I mean, you know, playing, you know, with Larry Gales on bass, um, uh, you know, the whole, all, all the rhythm players that played with Monk, except for the piano player, was a local guy, uh, Charlie Rouse. And that was pretty interesting, although I, his manager told me that, uh, and I was very excited, by the way, and also scared, you know, to death, <laughs> because he had a French horn player from New York, um, uh, Julius Watkins, uh, Charlie Rouse always had a quintet. He always had a French horn player in it, but the French horn player was always this this uh, dude from New York, Julius Watkins. And I heard some of his stuff, so I was a little nervous. So his manager said, "Don't worry, we'll have a rhearsal." So okay, so I started learning every Polonius Monk tune I could find, and I thought I was pretty ready. And then then a couple of three nights before they they showed up for the gig, she said, "Oh well, things are kind of late. It's no rehearsal. We're just going to show up and play the gig." I said, "Oh, okay." So. It turned out to be an interesting thing, a gig, and uh, I was scared. But the second night, the first night was kind of weird. The second night got better. It got better. Very and cool. And then I got a call to play in Charlie Charlie Hayden's orchestra, uh, the 
the West Coast version of the uh, Liberation Music Orchestra. We got to play at the Playboy Jazz Festival. And so I had a lot of fun back then, you know, and that, that gig was really cool because uh, following us was Jaco Pastorius. I had a total admiration of, you know. But as a side note, uh, before we before we got there, I, I was kind of hanging out in Jocko's green room where all these musicians were hanging out, and I, I and I started drinking some tequila and some. It was a little weird. I got a little out of it then, so the gig was not perfect, you know. But uh, that was a momentous gig to be on because, uh, unfortunately, that was a gig that he got turned. He threw his bass out into the audience and yelled at his band, and it was he was it caused such a scene that they actually turned the stage around. And wow. ended his concert after 20 minutes. Oh wow! And then wow. two years later, two years later, he got beat up down in Florida. So it was, I think, two or three years. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I just that's what I did. And then eventually, I started just doing my own thing. And then a friend of mine, you know, got me into uh, got me a call for a contractor. And I've been playing on a Cleveland show and playing on Family Guy and American Dad for about five six years. So, which is a, a lot of which is a great gig and a lot of. Excellent LA jazz players in the in the in, that, in the woodwind and brass section. Uh, yeah, that are doublers, you know. Sure, sure. But that's really a great gig. So, and then I decided to do this jazz horn Redux album. Uh, I hadn't done a classic jazz album, but uh, and then um, the Urban Horn Project was just original music that I'd done a demo for, and decided to put together as an album. And then now I'm working on a, a Latin jazz album, so I'm. That's kind of what I've been doing, you know. I mean, it's being a French horn player and, you know, wanting to do jazz and contemporary music has always been a struggle because I didn't really have any, uh, there's never any mentors. Not not for me anyway, you know. Yeah. I just stuck to my goal, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've had a long winding career that's been planned and unplanned for you up to this point. How do you feel oh, about yeah. your career? Is are you happy? Oh, I'm good. Uh, you good. know, especially you know, and to tell you the truth, I've never been a been a, a self promoter kind of guy. You know, I just do my thing and really happy to do it. And uh, but then, I people started encourage me, especially Joe Gasport. You know, he after the he he mastered the, the the Redux album, he said this is really good. I said you really should promote yourself more. And a couple of people started kicking me in the butt a little bit. So, my friend Wayne Bergeron, uh, the trumpet player. Um, he's on Family Guy too. We're pretty good friends. Great player. I don't know if you've heard Wayne's stuff, but really good stuff. And uh, I hired his uh, radio promoter, you know, to do this. And uh, I figured, well, let's just do it. And it's turned into be a really good deal. I mean, people really like the music, so um, I'm now I'm enjoying doing the promotion, you know, because back in '89 or so, when this Passport Jazz, that was a pretty big jazz label at the time, and. Um, you know, I had radio play around the country. I'd actually charted on cash, uh, cash box and, and billboard back then. And for a French horn player, that was rare, you know, never happened before. But a year after I got signed on that album, um, right around a year, maybe 13 months or something like that, they went bankrupt. I have to say that I thought I was on a roll at that time because I was on a pretty good jazz label with guys like Steve Berlin on it and some other fusion players, you know, and, uh, I just uh, after the after the album, I mean the record label went broke. Um, I felt lost, you know, and it was very depressing. I mean, I got really down because I didn't know what to do. The other guys are really, you know, well established jazz groups, and I'm just a French horn player, you know. 
hiring some guys to do some gigs. So it was, it was weird back then. So, but now, the reason I call this jazz horn redux, because redux kind of means taking something and doing it in a new uh, way, kind of like a jazz al karat sort of, you know. Yeah. And um, it turned out to be a good album. Actually, I really like listening to it too. I mean, very subjectively, you know. So, and then and then I did the other one, like a, two years later, the new one, which is going to be promoted this fall, which is not a jazz album per se. It's got some Latin jazz in it, and it's got some jazz influence, but it's it's going to be in the contemporary instrumental division. I only say that because I'm a Grammy uh, member, voting member, yeah. as of two years. So I actually, a friend of mine, a couple of producers heard my Jazz Horn Redux album. They said, well, you should at least submit it to the Grammys. Maybe somebody will hear it. But I was six months late. But this one I submitted last week, and I had to do it in the contemporary instrumental you know, division. You know. Sure. Probably not a chance at hell of uh, you know getting much from it, but uh, it doesn't really matter. I just I did it because I could. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So let me kind of get fantastical here with someone that's played so much as you have, and more specifically in the in the history of jazz. If you could go back in time and see yeah. a performer, who would you want to see? Who would you want to go see live? Uh, uh, Colin Hawkins, obviously. I never got I never got to see anybody. And, and it was probably because of growing up in St. Joe, Missouri. I mean, no offense. Nobody ever came there. I mean, you know, um, even rock musicians, I would have had to go to Kansas City to even hear, you know, um, the Rolling Stones or somebody like that if they came to Kansas City. So I, I was really didn't have the opportunity to hear anybody back then. It wasn't until I went to New York um, to go to school. But by then, everyone was pretty much croaked but at that time, too. So, um you know, if I could have heard some of the great masters back then, you know, Miles Davis and Hawkins and Sonny Rollins, um, almost anybody. But, it, it, you know, I never really got to hear anybody live until I got to L.A. And, yeah. you know, some great musicians in Los Angeles, of course. The West Coast sound, you know? Yeah, sure. So I got sure. to hear a lot of good musicians, um, a lot of great uh, jazz musicians out here. Um, most of them aren't even here anymore, you know? Uh, Unfortunately, yeah, Jim Baker, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, that's all I can say about that. I wish I could have heard more live music. I, I think growing up in a you know smaller town in Missouri, you kind of like if you don't, you either have the radio or, or albums, you know. Um, and of course, back then I was listening to a lot more classical music too. I really hadn't gotten into jazz much until I got. Um, I went to KU, University of Kansas, for three years, and then I transferred to New York and. And my teacher there at the University of Kansas, you know, thought playing jazz was stupid. So, wow, um, he used to put me down for it. Uh, but there are some good jazz players. And I did run into a guy named John Clark. John Clark is a jazz horn player, uh, a terrific player, and a really great guy. Uh, I met him at a horn workshop in Vegas about seven, eight years ago, and he's had several recordings. He played with he's played with McCoy Tyner's band. He played with Gil Evans. There's some even some YouTube stuff of John playing with Gillivan's band, and he was a great horn player. But um, he's kind of a contemporary of mine, you know. But he was on the East Coast, and I was in the Midwest, you know, and then moved out here. So I never really had a chance to hang with him, you know. Um, yeah. Just I just uh, I just stuck to my guns. I just did what I had to do, and and tried to make a living, you know, keep the bills paid. And, you know. Well, let me ask you this. This is my final question, just kind of yeah. to, to the core of who you are, and I want to know this. Everyone has a version of you, your family, your friends, those that listen to your music. But when you wake up and face the world, who do you think you are? 
Oh, I think I'm a guy who's worked really hard to to uh, to follow a, a a mission, you know, to accomplish uh, what I wanted to do. It's been yeah. it's taken a long time. I never quit doing it. I've had a lot of hard times, you know, and got you know fits of you know feeling sad, depression, you know, not wanting to know what to do, feeling kind of out of it, you know. But I just kept it up all the time, and uh, it's always it's. I don't know if it's been a struggle because I really enjoy doing it, but. Um, like I said before, I've never really um, had a uh, <clears throat> a passion or I mean, or a need to have people, you know, say they like me. I mean, I really enjoyed, you know, the the first album, you know, being on the air. And actually, I was in a restaurant in Kansas City and heard one of my tunes on the radio in an Italian restaurant there. Cool. And that came out. But uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I just live one day at a time and enjoy uh, stuff and uh, keep myself occupied and, uh, you know. Try to run my own race. Right on. Right on. So that's all I can tell you. It's yeah. It's really kind of simple, you know, really. But I'm really have. I have to say that right now with, with uh, the Redux album and all the great musicians I'm playing in the studio with, you know, it doesn't get any better. I'm like, yeah. Dan, the guys on this music, on this album, Dan Higgins, you know, Gary Grant, uh, the rhythm players, Trey Henry, these are some of the best musicians in the world, yeah, you know. And they're and they're jazz, great jazz musicians, but they're woodwind players. I mean, you know, when you hear the score on Family Guy, I mean, it's a fifty-piece orchestra. Yeah, and these yeah. guys are great. These just are incredible musicians. So I'm about as happy as I've ever been musically. Perfect. But I, I guess it's just sort of like a, a continuation of things. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I plan to do a record every year now if I can. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. I think that's a perfect way to kind of leave things off. Ken, yeah. thank you for taking a minute out for me today. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Joe. And I, I'm glad you liked the album. I mean, I, I think you know, I worked pretty hard on that, and I was hoping people would enjoy it. I, I think it's really, as far as classic jazz is, I think it, it, it kind of does the job, but it's a little different, a little fresher approach to the, to the music, you know? I agree. I think the audience is going to like it quite a bit. Supposed to put you in a good mood. Yeah, that's the, that's the key to it. That's why I love it. Um, okay, but, good. Well, I'm glad you do, dude. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in L.A., Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Ken for his cool and his music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.